Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you've listened to the show before, well, welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Brandon Baker is my guest this week. Some people actively seek out the spotlight, while others, the spotlight finds them. Brandon didn't set out to become the leader of a multi-sport endurance community and a race director, but the tragic death of his mentor and dear friend, in his mind, left him with no other choice. It can be a heavy burden to carry on the legacy of a legend and larger-than-life figure, yet he has done it exceptionally well. Here he is, Brandon Baker. Oh, Brando, welcome to hey, the show. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good, buddy. How are you doing? I can't complain. <laughs> yeah. What's uh what what's new? I I was trying to think, man, the last time I saw you, um the last time I saw you in person might have been the 2019 Metalac uh Bridget's oh, wow. race up in the North Country. I mean, yeah. the last time we saw each other in person. <clears throat> you think it could be yeah um yeah pandemic throws a lot of things off doesn't it yeah uh, but yeah that i mean is, yeah that's that's man that is my one of my favorites that's such a fun event um well we'll we'll, we'll talk more about uh, that event because um we've got, we've got an interesting an interesting connection there that i'll i want to talk about in, in a little bit but um for the listener not familiar with what in the world we're talking about. So um, Metalac was this, um, I mean, it's now, the race has now been discontinued, but Metalac was this multi-sport, um, triathlon is not the right word, adventure race, not quite the right word, but it, it, an adventure challenge, I think is actually how, how Bridget uh, used to describe it, uh, up in the North country of New Hampshire. Mm. Um, uh, like the Pittsburgh, um, uh, area of, of New Hampshire. I mean, way, way up there. Um, and I had, I had participated in the event a handful of times. I think you had participated in, in the event a handful of yeah. times. And, um, in fact, I think 2019 was the last, was the last year of that, of that event. And, uh, yeah. just so happened you and I, you and I were there, we were, we were doing different races, but um, uh, we were both there at the same time. And, I, and I, again, I was thinking the last time that I actually saw you in person was probably that that race. I might have, I might have, I might have run into you at a Scutney, uh, the, the the mountain race. Now that you that, that uh, yeah. you direct, but um, mm. it's been a couple of years since I've since I've done a Scutney. So I think I think Metalac was probably was probably the last time. Um, so. Um, let 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 let's start with this. I I want you, if if you will, to uh, sort of introduce yourself to the listener in terms of. Um, but let's start with this. Um, 
where are you from uh, and or like, where do you live now? Um, and uh, what, what do you do professionally? We'll, we'll talk about your your athletic passions and your uh, endurance passions in a moment. But tell me, tell me, you know, where, where do you live and, and what do you do? Yeah, right. So uh, I uh, grew up in central mass uh, right around Mount Wachusett and a uh, great, great area to grow up. Um, a lot of people in our circles know Mount Wachusett. That's why I always say that just a little bit north on the New Hampshire border, actually close to the Wapak Trail. Um, and yeah, super, super fun place to grow up. Uh, just nice country living, but still, you know, sort of close, close enough to Boston to do city things when, when we, uh, when we chose to, I guess. Uh, and I went up, uh, for college. I tried to go out West, um, uh, applied to a bunch of schools, got into most of them. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy, you know, not reaching for the stars, but just, you know, going out to, to do some bike riding or whatever. Uh, and, um, first generation college in my family. So, or at least four year college. So, uh, we didn't really know what we were getting into. And my parents said, Oh, well, you know, it's great that you got into all these Western schools, but, uh, you know, we got mountains here. Uh, why don't you go to New Hampshire? So I, I ended up getting a, a, a decent, uh, you know, um, scholarship package to go to Colby Sawyer. And, and that's where I went. And so I love my time there so much. I ended up uh, getting a house in the same town uh, a couple years. Well, uh, a, quite a few years after graduating. So we live uh, in New London, New Hampshire now, uh, wife and, a, and an awesome little dog. Very cool. So, um, you know, in, in, in reading your bio, I, I think I think I knew this, but uh, but I'm but I'm glad that you I'm glad you actually noted it in your bio because I, I had since forgotten. Um, but your undergraduate degree from Colby Sawyer is in exercise science. Use it every day. Uh, maybe just not to make any money. <laughs> maybe well, giving some tips in that area <laughs> well for, for 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 those of us in the profession of exercise science i um my uh, my undergraduate degree is actually in zoology no i but didn't my, know that right but but wow. my gra but my graduate degree is in health and health and sports science and i I, I consider myself an exercise physiologist so sure. um but but mm -hmm. for those of us in the field of exercise science um you you're you're in the field um uh be, because you you love it not necessarily because you're in it to make it to, to make a ton of money however um uh it, it's obviously it's an interesting background to have and and uh um and and you know there there, there aren't a whole lot uh, of folks with that uh, with with that particular with that particular academic background so what why why did you choose exercise science what what i mean you could have studied lots of different things what why, why exercise science? What was, what was your interest? Where, where were your interests at that time? Yeah. So, um, I was, uh, let's see, my high school years were 2001 to 2005. So I was smack dab in the middle of the Lance Armstrong heyday. And, um, just like the movie, uh, breaking away, uh, I was a captivated young kid in the country trying to be well not like the italians but like like the guy from texas right and so i got really in i played uh some some basketball did some cross-country running but once i hit uh junior senior year in high school all i wanted to do was ride my bike right and so uh naturally i i thought about it and you know i wasn't 
I started late and, and I don't think I had, you know, the, the world-class engine, so to speak. So I said, you know, I'm going to race hard in college, but chances are I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to be good enough to, to make it my job. Right. And so, so what, what, how else can I get close? And, and so I said, oh, I'll be a coach. And once again, uh, talking about sort of the family, not knowing a lot about college, being the oldest in my family as well. Um, we thought, oh, I want to be a coach someday, so I should study athletic training. <laughs> and come to find out, uh, you know, as we're senior senior year in high school and looking at these colleges, athletic training is actually not training athletes. <laughs> you know, things you learn that now in retrospect seem pretty silly. But at the time, it was like, wait, what? how is that not a thing? And, you know, athletic training is people that put athletes back together, right? And so... Sure. Um, you know, so that was really interesting. So I, I started looking at all the different schools and, and, you know, most of the interest was, uh, was kind of myself, right? Like, um, type one diabetic athlete, like, uh, you know, how, how do you, how do you get faster? How do you get stronger? All those, those fun things. And, and ultimately if I, if I couldn't, you know, be, be a participant as, as my job, maybe I could, maybe I could help people. Maybe I think I wrote an essay when I was a senior in high school and it was like, entitled like if you can't beat them join them right and so that was kind of my thought process headed headed to school and uh and it, it took me on a heck of a journey i guess i guess we're kind of still on it <laughs> yeah um I, i'm going to circle back to the to the type 1 diabetes angle in just a moment i and I, I have another follow-up question about your uh, your undergraduate uh, degree in exercise science so <clears throat> as you you know, as you're you're at Colby Sawyer and you're 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 studying you're studying exercise science. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure as you're sort of working through that that four year degree, you're you're beginning to understand what potential opportunities there might be uh, post post graduate, right? Like, sure, what sure. am I gonna what am I gonna do with this degree? Where where am I going to go with it? Maybe you didn't know that as a as a freshman and sophomore, but as you became a junior and eventually a senior in college. Uh, and you're working toward this degree, you must have started to kind of put together a picture of what you might do with that. Um, wh what were your thoughts coming out of Colby Sawyer in terms of what you might do with a, with an undergraduate degree in exercise science? Yeah, yeah. So um, that is, that's, wow, that's an interesting question. That, that has to like jog my memory a bit. Um, one thing, ironically, that I, I left out of our sort of uh, pre-show bio um, was that uh, I'm right smack dab in the middle entering junior year in August uh, 2007. I had a pretty bad cycling accident and um, I spent a few days in a coma. Um, and so I would say that accident changed my trajectory in quite a number of ways. Um uh, almost, well, it changed a ton of things, but, um, in terms of, of the, the degree, I got to a place where, you know, having some, some head trauma, it was a challenge to finish school. Um, and because I had missed, uh, only somehow, thank God, uh, I only missed one semester. Um, but for some reason, small school, um, you know, even the major group, you know, 15 kids or something like that. Uh, I kind of like, uh, I kind of fell out of sync with kind of where we were going and also with my classmates and sort of the direction um, and the road uh, the bike crash was a road cycling crash. So it kind of uh, 
it kind of changed everything in a sense. And so um, I think it's a great school. I love it. You know, I'm down the road. I end up running through that campus, you know, a couple times a week. Um, but in terms of like bridging to the next step, I don't know that it was the greatest, you know, and, and up in rural New Hampshire, you know, maybe not a ton of opportunities. Um, long story short, when I, when I got to, because I was staggered, I ended up coming back like my, my last semester was fall. And so I, you know, sort of walked in the spring and, and graduated in winter. And so it just kind of left me on an Island. And um, at that point I said, you know, most of the jobs I'm really excited about, unless I get some good connections are probably going to be master's level. And at that point I was pretty burnt out in school, just wanted to, you know, uh, move on, do some work. And I guess I just never, uh, circled back. So ultimately my conclusion from my college days, because I, I loved every minute and would do it again, uh, was that I probably should have in our three major groups, I started, uh, you know, in high school thinking, Oh, I'm going to do athletic training. We have that at Kobe store. Obviously that's not, I didn't want to fix the athletes. I want to train the athletes exercise science pretty much need to go for more school or be really self-motivated personal trainer type. Um, I think ultimately I should have been more in the sport management and uh, recreation side of things. So that's kind of where I was um, sort of drawn in the next few years of young, young adulthood. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you say that because eventually that's where, that's, that's where you landed. Right. Um, yes. I mean, it's, of course it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a drawback <clears throat> as an endurance athlete to have a, to have an educational background in exercise science. In other words, to be able to understand exercise physiology as an endurance athlete is that that's, there's no drawback and there's no downside to that. Right. Yes. Um, particularly if you are, if you're, if you're building and crafting your own training program, I mean, you, you have the, you have the educational preparation in order to understand how to put together a training plan and, 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 and the whys, uh, uh and the, and the reasons behind that did, um, did Colby Sawyer have, um, for the, for the undergraduate program in exercise science, did they have, um, like internship programs? Did you, did, did you have to do an internship as, as an undergrad? In other words, did, had you established any connections, um, as an undergrad in the, in sort of the, you know, the business world, so to speak? Yeah. Um, it, it's crazy, you know, looking back in hindsight, right? Like, um, I, I was, uh, thinking about a few things, you know, in preparation for, for hanging out with you tonight. Um, and even some of those things now, uh, you know, I'm being, my memory's being jogged and, and sort of put in a different direction. Even, um, I recall there was a guy, um, who also graduated from Colby Sawyer, who, um, his name is, I believe, uh, Jeremiah Bubar and, uh, he's really high end mountain biker in the nineties, two thousands, I think, but he went to Colby Sawyer and he ended up being a higher up at rock shock. So like there were like these opportunities to connect with people that would have been like sort of perfect for what I was excited about. You know, you go through school and you really get to the, the meat of what you want to study maybe in your junior or senior year, right? You, first couple years, you're kind of building these, um, the building block courses, you know, they're not very exciting, whatever. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, those connections didn't really pan out. So um, my internship uh, was, uh, well, I had two. I, 
I honestly don't remember the second one, but the, the big one was, um, there was an upper Valley aquatic center, big, beautiful new building, um, maybe a year before my senior year. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard the name Signe Linville, but she's a high end swimmer, um, Colby Sawyer. She's been a coach at the upper Valley aquatic center and Colby Sawyer back and forth. She's a couple years older than me. Um, so she was my, uh, uh, sort of my, um, supervisor for um, my internship up at the Upper Valley Aquatic Center. It's right at the junction of 89 and 91. It's just an incredible center. Um, so that was a lot of fun. So my right at the end of my senior year, I did some a uh, little bit of sort of sport training. I taught some spin classes. I did like a spin-a-thon thing um, and then just sort of general um, sort of fitness center stuff. Um, so it was a lot of fun, but uh, I think at that point I was just trying to to get to the finish line. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally understand that. And I, I think yeah. it's, I, I, I think it's an interesting, interesting angle that the, uh, that the bike crash uh, puts you out of sequence with your class. Um, and while everyone had graduated and was and was filling jobs, you still had another half semester to go. Not that that not that that necessarily you know was was the deciding factor, but it but it is it, it certainly is it, it, it certainly it is it's an interesting variable. Um, yeah. So you 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 mentioned type one diabetes in passing, but I want to I want to circle back to that because that's, that's something I want to talk a little bit more um, in depth with you about. Uh, I mean, yes. for me, um, you're an interesting cat, but you're you're for me anyway as a as a clinical exercise physiologist, you're. Um, you're, you're particularly interesting because of the type one diabetes angle. Uh, cause not only are you someone with type one diabetes, but you're an endurance athlete with type one diabetes. And I, I, for me, I think that's, that, that, that's an incredibly interesting thing. So you, you, you mentioned that you were, um, that you've been a type one diabetic athlete since 1998. Yeah. But, but, but I, I want to get some clarification from you were you diagnosed with type one diabetes in 1998 or, or, or did you become an athlete with type one diabetes in 1998? Clarify that for me. Yeah. So I would say, uh, they go hand in hand. So 1998, uh, my, uh, you know, people with diabetes have these sort of weird connections. Um, uh, this is, um, diabetes awareness month. So it's kind of a, reason to celebrate for us folks with well it, it, it certainly it, it's a reason to bring bring more awareness to the to the, to the topic for sure yeah and so um it's my golden year um so uh i think that's what they call it golden uh, golden birthday um so 24th of uh november which is of course thanksgiving uh it will be 24 years of diabetes um so i was just about 12 years old um and i remember it like it was yesterday i had been losing weight i was eating a ton i was using the bathroom a lot and i was you know getting getting skinny and pale and my mom said oh, i think i know what this is and took me to the doctor and he didn't really think much was going on and then took him to went to a different doctor and then it was a half day like a wednesday um before thanksgiving and I came home and I'm, oh, I'm going to go for a bike ride with my buddy, Jason, right? Like I'm already, I'm doing the mountain bike thing in sixth grade. And my parents are sitting on the, sitting on the couch. And I said, oh, I'm just going to go off and 
for a bike ride with Jason. I'll be home at five or whatever. And they look at me and they go, no, you're not. And I go, what? You know, why not? No, I didn't do it. Like I did my homework, whatever, you know, so it's a holiday break. Uh, and they said, we got to talk to you. And then I spent the whole Thanksgiving weekend in the hospital learning how to be diabetic. And I got out on Sunday and I had this whole new deal and I didn't even get to miss a darn day of school. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, uh, I don't know that I had done like a race, um, before that, uh, or like an event, but essentially I don't remember doing sports or endurance activities without this variable. Okay. Um, yes. do you remember what was going through your head as a 12 year old, given this sort of life diagnosis? Like the, I mean, could you at that time or did you at that time? Did, I mean, did you fully understand the fact that you, this is not a temporary thing? Like you are going, you're going to be living with type one diabetes for the rest of your life. Is that, is that yeah. how it was presented to you? And, and, uh, and if so, or if not, how much of it did you understand? I would say, uh, and this is actually sort of a battle I'm going through now. Um, pediatric endocrinologists are so good. Um, so that was, you know, I've had incredible doctors all throughout. They had to kick me out of pediatrics when I was like 25. So I just had these, you know, always encouraging, always, you know, uh, ahead of the game, uh, modern tech, all that good stuff. But I guess in that moment, um, I was just like, I just felt sort of bad for myself, but I wasn't really scared. And I would say that was the big reason was I have a, a, a cousin who had had diabetes since she was like one. So I was pretty aware of like what was going on uh and outside of um it took me a while maybe like three or four months to uh learn how to do my own injections you know uh you, when you're a kid at that point you just want to uh know okay how much halloween candy can i actually eat and you know if i sleep over at my friend's house and my parents have to come over and give me some insulin before they you know before i go to bed like you're gonna be sick of that pretty quick so I don't know, maybe um, there was just so much going on that I was like, just trying to eat it all up. Um, but yeah, having having that family history was really helpful. And uh, so my cousin's name is Heather, and she just had her second child at third, I think she's 34. Um, so I mean, you know, we're so lucky to have this disease when we do, if that makes any sense. And uh, knowing that she could do it. Like I was like, okay, we got this. Hmm. Um, well, and I, I would, I would imagine that, um, with a, with a type one diabetes diagnosis when you're 12, um, it, it's essentially a family diagnosis as well. Like you're right. You're right. I mean, it, 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 in other words, my point is that it's, it's not as though you're an adult, and you're diagnosed with a with a with a chronic illness, and you kind of have to sort of figure that out on your own. Truth is, um, the entire family had to be involved with it. Absolutely. Um, uh, how did your parents? How did they handle it? Yeah, um, I mean, it's so it's on my mom's side, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah, uh, and I mean that I think they probably just uh said we got to be strong for our kid right and i got a younger sister's five years younger um so at that point she wasn't you know she was just an elementary um 
but you know, she's always been super supportive. And so, uh, yeah, I think we just, we, we had that holiday weekend to kind of take it on the chin. And after that, it's like, okay, back, back to it. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty extraordinary as a, as a, as a family and as a, as a young person to sort of have that, have that resolve, uh, and that sort of, let's just kind of get on with it. You know, let's, let's start working with it. Um, at that time, um, you must've been the only kid that you knew who had diabetes. Yeah. 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 I mean, outside of my cousin who, uh, you know, lived an hour away, she, she grew up right around Boston. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say so. And so, um, uh, one of the, the biggest parts in my story, especially, um, sort of my, my confidence and, uh, sort of strengths as an athlete, my, my empowerment, um, was through, um, the Jocelyn diabetes camp. And so I think it was right off the bat that, so I diagnosed in November, I think I went to camp that July. So six, seven months in, and I mean, it's a normal summer camp. Um, you see all the kids, there's a lake, there's boats, there's, you know, hiking, there's ice cream, there's pizza, and all the kids have diabetes. And so, you know, in two weeks time, I'm coming home and my parents don't recognize me. They're like, oh, he does this, he does that. He tells us what he's going to do. And it was, you know, the only negative I have to say about that place is that it almost made, it, it was almost too empowering. It, it, it made me so like confident in everything, which ultimately carry has carried on into the rest of my life that you know, um, like for instance, and, and just such valuable practical lessons, right? You're, you're a health guy, you know, like pizza is not the best food, right? Like, I mean, you can make healthy pizza, but for the most part, we shouldn't need a ton of pizza. We shouldn't need a ton of all the things that we know aren't great for us. But if you're going to have pizza and it has a ton of fat, how does that react to your blood sugar? Well, to teach the kids, we're going to, uh, Oh, I'm, I'm confusing. I mean, they did a couple interactive lessons like this, but uh, the one I remember the, the most was ice cream. So right. similar, um, you know, more sugar, a little less fat maybe, but they're like, Hey, you're, you're, you know, a 120 pound eighth grader, sixth grader, you know, of course you can have some ice cream once in a while, like anybody could. So here's our lesson. We're going to go get our ice cream. You can order whatever you want, you know, medium size, whatever, oh, this is great. All the kids are excited. And then they're like, okay, here's the caveat. We're going to walk three miles back to camp. And you're like, what the heck? But then, I mean, that is literally something I do today. You know, it's like Thanksgiving. What, do, what is Brandon going to do after he sits down to his, you know, first helping? He's going to go for a three mile run because that's, you know, sugar in, sugar out. I mean, it's that simple, at least for us. I mean, it's not that simple. Um, but, but that's, I mean, but that's, but that's how you learned it as a kid. That was your, that was yeah. your mindset as a kid you want the ice cream, you got to work for it. And that obviously could have some, some sort of weird overtones, body weight, body image, stuff like that. But this is a, you know, the sugar's got to get out of the bloodstream and that's, that's, that's all there is to it. Right. Where, um, where, where were these camps held? Do you, do you remember? Yeah. So, um, Joslin is a big diabetes center in Boston. Um, right. the camp used to be called Joslin, J O S L I N. Um, it's been purchased by the sister, uh, girls camp. Um, so it's now called the Barton center and it's in, uh, named after Clara Barton, the nurse, I believe nurse. 
Charles Charleston, Mass. So so close to Worcester. Got it. But in the um, world, you know, in the country. Yeah. Um, so, um, boy, a, a lot a lot must have changed uh, since 1998 in terms of uh, type one diabetes monitoring, uh, medication delivery. Um, maybe not so much necessarily on, um, but but. Well, maybe in part, uh, understanding of the impact uh, of of lifestyle on on blood sugar. Um, talk, yeah, talk talk a little bit about what's what some of the changes or advancements have have been over the years in terms of glucose monitoring, include in, in terms of uh, you know insulin pump, uh, um, yeah, just all of the things associated with managing type one diabetes. What what's changed? uh, in, in yeah. over the last 24 years. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, almost everything, I mean, I'm noticing, uh, you know, 24 years in that, that I need to make a few changes. And I've, uh, been, I, I was going to switch my doctor right before COVID. So, I, you know, I'm a little bit behind right now and I, I'm a little, you know, my, my A1C number, I believe you're probably familiar, uh, you know, it's a little higher than I want it. Um, but you know, I, I know that's like, uh, having an interception in football, right? You gotta, you gotta have a short memory and, and keep at it. Um, but all that aside, uh, I remember, gosh, when I was first diagnosed, we had, you know, this big honking glucose meter and you put the test strip in, you prick your finger, you, you have to milk it because you need a ton of blood. And it took 45 seconds to get a number. Right. And it was, it was just wild. Um, and now our new meters, you know, they're three to five seconds, depending on which one you use. Um, they're, uh, they're working on the, the insulin pumps that go hand in hand with a um, uh, glucagon kit outside your body. So you essentially have the two hormones, you know, the yin and the yang working together outside your body and auto correcting each other. I have not tried that. I being in this for 20 plus years, I don't trust the tech yet. Um, but the continuous glucose monitors, um, you know, they're gaining a ton of, uh, traction in athletics in general. Um, I wish they came down in price. That's a, that's a different story, but, um, they're just so phenomenal. And ironically, um, right. It's around the time I got married, 2014. Um, I noticed sort of some not, not bad changes. I wouldn't call them like, um, wouldn't call them diabetes complications, but, um, sort of the, the sensations of low and high blood sugars. I was, I was sort of, they were changing. And so normally I could, uh, you could say, Hey, Brandon, uh, what's your blood sugar? And I could, I could get it within 20 to 30 points, just how, how I felt, you know, the sensation of low blood sugar, high blood sugar, whatever. I think I'm in range, you know, I sort of lost that or changed. And right around that time is when the glucose monitors, um, really started to, to come out and be readily available. So I use the Dexcom, uh, G6 sensor. Um, and it's just fantastic, especially when you're out in the woods and you're, you know, how much, how much energy do I need to get home? Um, and to just have that and, you know, oh, I feel a little weird right now and just take it out of your pocket, hit a, hit a button and say, what's my, where's my sugar at? Um, I would say they're 95% accurate every now and then. Ironically, this morning I had it beep. Oh, your blood sugar's low. I, I ate a bunch of cliff blocks, you know, cut my run short and 
pricked my finger at home to double check. And of course it was not low. It was, it was off, you know, the sensor was wrong, but for the most part, they, they're an incredible tool. And, um, I was on the pump for a while. Um, but I really don't like the cords involved, um, you know, to, uh, from the, from the unit to the, uh, they call it the cannula, I think. Um, so I'm taking a bit of a pump break. So I do one injection at night that's 24 hours. And then I do smaller injections of a faster acting insulin, uh, during the day for my food or if, uh, if I'm running high, um, and I'm, I'm hoping to get, um, there's more or less five types of, uh, levels of acting insulin right now. And they just added like an ultra rapid and I'm, I'm looking to get that very soon because I noticed like, man, I just, it's just not acting quick enough. You know, you take your insulin, you watch that, that glucose uh, sensor and it's like, I took the insulin Oh, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. It's still not going down. It's like, why, you know, and who knows, who knows why? Um, but could be a number of variables, but, uh, I think a little faster acting insulin would be really helpful at this mm. point in my, my life. Um, so you, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned finger pricks. Um, now 24 years later, uh, pricking your finger, uh, do you have any sensation left in any of your fingertips? It's never been a huge issue. Um, I mean, I've got, you know, I don't know if you can see, <laughs> I've got, I've got some, you know, guitar level calluses, I would say, but, um, it's, it's just never been a problem, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting to hear, uh, you talk about your, um, hesitancy and I, I, I guess I'll characterize it that way, uh, about using a continuous glucose monitoring, uh, yeah. you know, you're sort of not quite trusting the tech. Although, as you know, that tech has been around now probably a decade or yeah. so at least. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, in my observations, and I've I've only I've only dealt with the um, with the continuous glucose monitoring on the clinical side, um, uh, in specifically in cardiac rehab and and uh, some of our patients who are using it in cardiac rehab. Um, but it's pretty slick. And, uh, uh, you know, the, now the interface with your, you know, with your mobile device and an app and like, like literally you can, I mean, just, just the amount of data that's now available for folks with type one diabetes, um, you know, as a result of being able to monitor their, their blood glucose continuously. Um, and then, you know, the, the signal, the ability for the device to signal to you, if you're, if you're experiencing a high or if you're experiencing yes. a low, um, so, um, totally, totally tangential, but, um, I, I know you have a dog, you, you're, you're a dog owner. I do. Um, some dogs, um, have been trained to, uh, detect, uh, bouts of, uh, hypoglycemia or low, low blood sugar. And, yeah. and maybe I, I should, maybe I, maybe I should say that, um, maybe some dogs have the unique ability to do that. I'm not. I don't know if it's, if you can train a dog to do it or not. Um, but are, are you familiar with that? Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and uh, can your dog do that? Uh, yes. And very much. No. Um, <laughs> okay. so he's a rescue. Uh, we got him, uh, I think we've had him four years. So he's five. We, you know, that first year, I don't know what happened, but you know, people life, you know, he had some trauma. And so, uh, you know, I pushed him when we first got him, I wanted this, you know, perfect dog to run with me and, you know, hand, you know, foot and 
you know, right next to me uh, in the woods, up the mountains, all those things. And and my wife and I joke because he's he's so much the opposite that at one point my glucose sensor's going off. I'm low. I'm snowshoeing with him, and he bolts after a deer. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, like I'm like, okay, I need to wait till my blood sugar goes up, and then go find him. And he's off, like, ah, you know, you'll be fine. I'm gonna go get this deer. I mean, he's 35 pounds, so he's never gonna get a deer. Um, so yeah, he's not. He's not crazy. Compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> fair totally uh, totally fair I, I'm, whoever I'm fair. <laughs> uh you have an outdoor industry contact who works for alpina and elon skis uh in in our town and he uh his daughter has one and i i believe um i'm pretty sure she's at unh and i'm pretty sure the dog went with her so that's yeah. pretty cool yeah yeah that it, it's very cool again just sort of an, another one of these kind of interesting advancements right in the in the treatment and, and management uh of type 1 diabetes you mentioned uh you mentioned low low blood sugars um uh and as really just in general folks with 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 diabetes whether it's type 1 diabetes or type type 2 diabetes generally speaking low blood sugars or hypoglycemia are much more of an urgent concern than hyper or high uh, blood sugar, high blood sugars, you can, you can kind of manage with medications and it's not going to cause an imminent, uh, medical issue, but low blood sugars absolutely could cause, uh, an imminent, uh, medical issue, not the least of which is, uh, loss of consciousness, which is, which is never a good thing. So, um, right. ha have you, ha have you had really close calls with, with low, with low blood sugar that, I mean, as, as someone who's as active as you are, I suspect that probably is the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had, a, I've had a few good ones for sure. Um, there's always a couple that get you, um, uh, every year and, and they're, they're, they're usually, um, with, like anything they're they're usually in a place where there's just a bunch of variables. Like, you know, it could be three days after a really long bike ride and, and, you know, you're, you're just working hard and you sort of skip lunch or something. And it's just a cumulative effect. Um, and the, you know, the sensors are great, but because they're interstitial, right. Um, they're about 15 minutes delayed. So you, you treat the low with your glucose, you know, I cycle through things, maple syrup, um, Gatorade, uh, you know, any sports drink, uh, energy gels, all the fun stuff. Um, and then you just kind of stare at that sensor waiting for it to, you know, rise back up. And, and it does, you know, um, but to answer the question, I've never needed assistance. I've definitely, you know, a couple times late night or something I you know, I say, say to my wife, eh, I'm really low and I'm not going up. Could you just stay up with me? You know, so it is, it is really, um, imperative that people that know and understand what's going on. Um, I, <laughs> I will say, um, I was, you know, largely because of athletics and diabetes, I was not a partier, you know, in college. Um, but I was at a graduation party in Syracuse with a buddy and we had traveled all day, you know, blood sugar's kind of high cause we're driving. I took a little extra insulin, wasn't coming down, took a little extra insulin. We ended up waiting 45 minutes for the, uh, table at the restaurant. Then we had, we have a glass of wine. All of a sudden, it feels like, well, you had a glass of wine and took a bunch of insulin. Like it felt like I was going to 
pass out, but it was just those weird variables. And we called the paramedics, pretty embarrassing. And he tested blood sugar 105, you know, 110. And you're like, oh, you're okay. But <laughs> it, it was a weird feeling. And I said, I'm not going to do that again. So. Um, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned it's important that, uh, that people are uh, around you are sort of aware. You mentioned your wife and, and asking her to, to, to stay up with you. Um, yes. Do you, so, I mean, there are, there are obviously times in which you're out and adventuring solo, um, right? You're, you're, you're going out maybe solo, maybe, maybe you're, you're with the dog, but you're not, you're not mm -hmm. in the company of other people. You're out, you're out doing your thing, running or riding or trekking or paddling or, or whatever it is that you're doing at that time. Um, do you, do you wear uh, some kind of medical uh, ID bracelet that identifies you as someone with type one diabetes? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just got the standard road ID. You know, it's got, it's got name, wife and, and type one diabetic. So, um, I used to have the necklaces, but, um, I hope this is enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely always have something. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the, there are some pretty serious and significant complications associated with chronically high, uh, blood sugars in, in this case, uh, HbA1c, um, that, uh, sort of that three month average blood sugar test yeah. that they give you. I mean, it just generally speaking, that's what HbA1c is. It, it, it gives a, it gives a little bit of a, uh, of a larger overview of what average uh, blood sugars have been. And that, that HbA1c number um, that's an important metric for people with type one diabetes as it, as it pertains to uh, an understanding of how tight their management is, right? Ideally the, the, the lower that number is, um, that's an indication of, of tighter management of blood sugars. Um, in other words, not that wide range of, of high highs or, or low lows that you're staying, uh, you're staying within a, uh, within a reasonable, um, uh, range. Um, those complications associated with, uh, chronically high, uh, blood sugars include, uh, blindness, uh, kidney failure, um, amputation is actually, I think 50 times higher in folks with, 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 uh, with diabetes than folks who do not have diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you obviously are, a, I mean, you're, you're, you're a super healthy guy. Um, what, what do you attribute your significantly reduced risk of those things to? I mean, how, how is it? I mean, you, you, I mean, you did mention that your, your HbA1c is maybe a little bit higher than you'd like it to be. Although I suspect it's, that there are a lot of type one diabetics that would love to have your HbA1c number, yeah. right? Because, you know, it's just, I mean, it, type one diabetes is something you, that, that you have to think about every day. It's not, it's not a disease that you can take a day off from. I mean, you, right. Like, right. Is that, that's true. Absolutely. I mean, you, yeah. you have to be thinking about it all the time as it relates to uh, you know, choices around nutrition or choices around physical activity. Um, you, you can't take a day off. Um, how is it that you've, that you've been able to live so successfully to date? What I'm guessing you're what, 36, 37 years old. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 35, I'll be 36 next month. 35, 36. Okay. Yeah. I knew, I knew I was close. Good on you. Um, yeah. So how, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, 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 what do you attribute your, your relatively successful, type one diabetes management too. I mean, what's, what's been the key for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, having an interest in these things is super helpful. Right. Um, 
you know, it's, it's easy to say eat healthy, but it's hard to actually make the time to do it. Right. Um, as, as we talked about earlier, I, I don't think, um, I don't think I've had any time, like they've always been paired, um, diabetes and exercise. And, you know, when you talk about these, uh, things like complications, which, you know, um, for the first time last year, I had a few, uh, sort of chinks in my armor, right? I had a couple blood spots in my eye and it's like, oh yeah, you, you know, no matter how good you do, you still have this thing that's, you know, got these little sugar Chinese stars in your blood vessels and that's not good. Um, I'm, I'm holding out for the cure in my lifetime still for sure. But, um, until then, you know, we got to get there. Right. And so, uh, I would say that's also a, a big thing that keeps me competitive, right? Um, I struggled this year with um, mountain getting back to mountain bike racing, and it was largely because of the adrenaline spiking the sugar at the start line. And by the time I got in a good range, it was you know I'm, I'm having to chase the chase everybody down. I'm way far like my fitness level and my results not not like adding up and, and, you know, you're thinking, what the heck am I doing wrong here? Um, so, you know, quite simply, you don't feel good exercising if your blood sugars are high and if they're low, you're constantly pausing and having to eat a bunch of food. And, you know, when you're in the midst of an exercise session, you don't want to stuff your face. So it's, it's that, um, that necessity to, to just keep pounding, just keep doing it yeah yeah i mean don't don't you feel like i mean you you mentioned the you mentioned the pandemic i mean we talked about the pandemic really at the opening and uh how it's probably has been since 2019 that you and i have seen each other i haven't done a whole lot of racing in the last couple of years i suspect you're probably like me you probably have you probably haven't done a whole lot of racing uh in the last couple of years either right Um, but 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 don't you feel like the more the more racing you do uh, the less arousal you have at the starting line. In other words, the, 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 the less excitement, the less, the less adrenaline, um, when, you know, when, when racing sort of feels like a, like a fairly common, ordinary thing. I mean, do you, do you, do you think there's some, there's some truth to that? Well, um, uh, and you, you might know more than, about this than I, but, um, one of the, one of the other wonderful, um, inherited characteristics from my my family is is a fairly high level of anxiety and i have found it manifest in my life not as sort of this like a lot of people see me right i've got a little bit longer hair they say oh he's pretty chill or whatever it it's not outwardly apparent but on the inside sometimes and especially having had a head injury as well um i could be sitting there with a heart rate of 50 you know, ready to pedal my bike away. And my brain is just scattered like crazy. And so there's some interesting variables and, um, part of what's keeping me coming back for, for competition after so long is, wow, I got a lot to figure out and these are different things. Right. And so there's, there's the mental aspect, um, the high blood sugars at the start line this year, um, you know, not knowing the course, um, you know, in running, you just slow down a little bit, right. In mountain biking, if you miss that drop, then you're on your face. Um, uh, so, so yeah, uh, I wish I could say that was true, but, um, what does Greg Lamont say? Uh, 
it doesn't get any easier. You just get faster. Um, that's kind of like how I feel like, yeah, I still got those, those butterflies and, and maybe I shouldn't at this point, but they just pop up. Yeah. Well, and, and truth is too, that, um, uh, that, that as we get older, the, the, the dynamic of how our blood sugar reacts to the medication that we take and the timing mm-hmm. of our meals, all that changes as well too. Right. Absolutely. So, so though, in other words, you know, how we responded to, uh, to medication and exercise as a teenager becomes very different than, than, than someone who's approaching 40 and then, and then, yes. and then, and then beyond. Right. But that's Absolutely. the variable that we don't necessarily always think a whole lot about, right. We kind of, we mm-hmm. think of ourselves in sort of a, a very constant state that we're not, I mean, we, we know we're changing, but we, it, it, it's a little bit more difficult to appreciate that. Um, but, but then that, that ends up being part of the equation as well too, right. As a, as a 35 year old endurance athlete, your, your, your body responds differently, um, uh, right. From a, uh, from a glucose standpoint than it, than it might've as a, as a teenager. Um, well, I, 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 I can only imagine that there are a lot of people with type one diabetes that draw a tremendous amount of inspiration from you, uh, you know, and, 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 and see the see the things that you do and, 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 and watch the active things that you do. Um, did, did you ever have any, any inspirations, uh, or do you, even to this day, do, do you have any inspirations from the world of, of sports, uh, athletes with, uh, type one diabetes that, that, that you are aware of and that you, that, that you draw inspiration from? Absolutely. So, um, you know, this, this wonderful camp I talked about earlier, um, we had one of the first high-end diabetic athletes um, come come to the camp one summer. Um, that's Gary Hall Jr. Don't know if you know the name. You talk about adrenaline. I mean, this guy does, I think, a 50-meter uh, sprint for the swimming. And it's like, how the heck do you control your blood sugar for whatever, 45 seconds, you know? And, and it was pretty funny. The director of the camp, a real great guy named Paul Madden, uh, they say, oh, we're going to have a race, right? So they jump off the dock and Gary does the entire, you know, whatever, 30 meters underwater, um, right? So that was super cool to be able to, you know, meet that fellow firsthand. We didn't get to talk really, but I was maybe like 14 at the time. But then just knowing, oh, you can be an Olympian. Then uh, more recently, we got Mark Andrews on the Baltimore Ravens, type one diabetic, maybe the best tight end now that Gronk's retired. Right. Um, just incredible. No, uh, no clue how he does it, especially with the pads and this and that the sensor, I don't know, but that's really cool. You know, kind of have, have one of our own up there, but the, the guy I've, uh, met a few times and I, I wouldn't call us friends, but definitely acquaintances. And the one I've drawn the most, not, not just, um, inspiration, but also, um, uh, understanding from just trial and error, you know, end of one type stuff is Chris Freeman. Um, so type one, uh, recently retired, he retired from, you know, Olympic Nordic skiing to, to do Ironmans. Um, so just super crazy guy, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody more aerobically fit, um, and just seeing what he did and the trial and error and, and the four Olympics, I think, um, he easily gave me the most, um, his, his, uh, blog was, um, very open with all of his insulin dosing and stuff. I mean, I, I learned more from Chris maybe than I learned from 
from most endocrinologists because you know they just they just don't work with a lot of people like that um yeah he's a he's a local guy too he's a, he, uh, he, he and his brother yeah. they're from they're from new hampshire yeah yep. yeah um I, I i i i know that they've um that, that chris has done a handful of races that i that i've directed has has he ever been to any of the races that you direct yes uh he he won one of the waterville winter wilds and you know he was up and down before we even uh you know put our coffees down to, to set up the finish line <laughs> so, he's, he's uh thanks for mentioning winter wild great great segue i was thinking about I was thinking about how we met and, um, I think, um, I think we met, uh, at a winter wild, um, through, uh, a mutual friend, Chad Denning. Sure. And this was probably, I don't know, early 2010s, early 2000 teens. It might've been late, late 2008, nine, I don't know, some, something like that. Um, I had heard about this, uh, this winter wild series, this, uh, um, I mean, I think at the time I was doing, I was snowshoe racing at that, at that time. So I was, sure. you know, I, I, I had a, I had a fairly busy winter activity schedule, but kind of heard this buzz about this, this winter wild thing, this, and, and, and I, I was a mountain runner at that time, but of course in the winter time, there's not a whole lot of mountain running going on except there was some mountain running going on. We heard yeah. about this. We heard about this series of events um, that happened at the, like literally at the crack of dawn. I mean, it, in fact, as you know, and you'll, you'll, you'll describe here in just a moment. Um, these, these races are held in large part before the ski resort first chair. So, I mean, very, very early in the morning, some mornings it's before sun has come up, the, the race, the race starts. So that just super early in the morning. Um, and you know, you, you, you race up to the top of the mountain, uh, there's a number of different classes or categories, divisions. You'll talk about that in just a moment too. But anyway, kind of heard about this, this thing. And I had a buddy that uh, lives around the corner and, and, uh, his wife agreed to drive. So, uh, so, so Janina would drive Tim and I to, uh, to these winter wild of events events first thing in the morning in the wintertime. And uh, the cool thing about it was that by the time the event was over and the award ceremony was held, it, 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 it still wasn't even breakfast time. So we would, we would actually stop and get breakfast on the way, on the way home. I just, I have, I have very, very fond, very fond memories about that. Um, and again, I, I want to say that's how I met you through Chad Um because you were you were helping Chad or you helped Chad with, yeah. with Winter Wild uh, in the early days. Uh, talk mm -hmm. yeah, talk about that. How did you how did you get involved in 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 Winter Wild with Chad? Uh, did did you know Chad before Winter Wild or what? Tell me tell me the story of of you and Chad and Winter Wild. Yeah. So um, so I had that accident in two thousand seven. So I came back to, to college. So the spring semester, so 2008 and, um, sort of my, my friend group, um, similar age group, uh, you know, in a sense had, had moved on and I, I ended up making friends with a few younger folks. And one of the, one of the younger guys was, um, 
actually not younger. He was, I think he was 24. He's like a 24 year old freshman or something. And he had been in the Navy and uh, he was a goofy guy and we really connected and he was into running. And I was, you know, I had done this, this all put all my eggs in this bike racing basket. Now I'm coming back and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this bike racing anymore. Right. And so I'm, I'm running with him and kind of just feeling it out. And, you know, and he introduces me to the rec director of New London. And he said, oh, this guy's really cool. He does these crazy races, blah, blah, blah. And that's Chad Denning. And this guy, his name's Adam. Uh, Adam wasn't um, a great guy. It's super fun. Uh, but definitely coming out of the Navy, he was looking for uh, maybe the, the traditional college experience. And uh, Chad, I think, noted pretty quickly that I was maybe a little more serious about running and biking and, and athletics. And, and so he kind of took me under his wing and, uh, fast forward when I graduated in, um, 2010, uh, he was telling me all about the winter wild series. That was the beginning of it. So it was, it was January, 2010 was, I believe the beginning and I had just graduated. So I said, what the heck? Like, I'm going to be at home. How do I get to these races? And luckily I had a bunch of friends in the Colby Sawyer area. So I would basically say, oh, I'm going to, I was at home in Massachusetts for a few weeks before I got a job back up here. So I would just crash on somebody's couch, do the race with Chad. And then when I moved back up after for some, for work uh, and did a bunch of odd jobs, you know, in my few years out of college, um, I just basically became his, his second, his uh, right-hand man. Um, and that's, and that's, yeah. and that's what, then that's what I remember. I remember, um, I remember showing up to these winter wilds and, and uh, you know, Chad was, Chad was obviously the, he was the, he was the man. Um, but, uh, but, but every guy's got to have a, got to have a, have a right-hand man. Right. And uh, cause it, you know, as you know, all too well, um, you can't put a race on by yourself. You need a tremendous amount of help and particularly an event, an event like that. Um, uh, so, all right. So it's, 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 it's 2010 and, uh, and you're, you're kind of Chad's, you're Chad, you're Chad's right-hand man with winter wild. Um, and you're, 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 you're probably, you're learning the ropes at the same time, right? Yeah. And you're yep. obviously Chad, Chad's probably got you, he, he's got you pretty involved and, and, uh, um, and, and again, at, at some point, uh, it almost seemed like, you know, the two of you were, were co-race directing these things because you were you were obviously always there. And 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 uh, and Chad really relied upon you. You be, but you became you became you became friends outside of the winter wild. Right. Um, yes. And tell me. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me about that. What how did that manifest itself? Did, did you guys start? Did you start training together? I mean, what um, how did that friendship flourish? Yeah. So I think, I think it can be, um, I think it can, uh, one of the, the, you know, outdoor industry secrets can be, can be revealed at this point. So when, when I came back from my accident and we, we started to, you know, get to be, uh, good friends, um, Chad, as you know, was, was a, a man of many, uh, many talents, um, professionally and, uh, in his own sort of adventures and, he said, you know, you're always just focused on one thing. He's like, just, just do some different things, right? Like do mountain biking, do some paddling. Like you don't like it's, life is too short to just do one thing. Right. And so, uh, at the time he was on the EMS adventure team, which 
Eastern Mountain Sports was was fairly prominent, and they were going to national races and all this stuff. And he had a, a, a bike voucher, a mountain bike, um, you know, a sponsorship voucher, like literally a free bike every year at the time. Sponsors used to be pretty good back in the day. And so he said, I got my bike from last year. I love it. You take this bike. I said, you're kidding me. And so I got this, you know, Rocky Mountain full suspension uh, I might not have been free, but it was, you know, heavily discounted. And he said, you know, get back out there, man. And like, that was just, I mean, yeah, when you're, when you're down and out and you're not sure, and you're kind of, you know, where am I going now? And, and obviously 22 years old, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking for guidance. I'm looking for, you know, friendship mentors. I mean, that was just such a, such a kind gesture and so important in my development as a young man. Um, and so, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I have a great sister um, who's five years younger, um, but I, I don't have, you know, brothers, right? I, uh, I've i been lucky to have a few brothers from college, and obviously I would consider Chad like a brother. And so, <clears throat> yeah, so um, as I finished school and I said, you know, oh, I, I, got a, I got a little apartment, I'm coming back up. I mean, his, my apartment uh, was, uh, I was the among, I did many odd jobs before I got going in my young adult life. I was the night watchman at the new London Inn. And so I had this tiny apartment, literal bachelor pad, like hot plate, you know, I got cable, I could watch the Celtics. I didn't care. Right. Two rooms. And I would look down and there's an ice rink for the town that Chad maintained for the, uh, you know, rec department and literally across the way town hall, that's where his office was. So he, you know, sent me a text. Oh, you, you working today? Oh, I'm going to go for a lunch run, you know, and, and just stuff like that. I mean, we, we were literally right there. There was one, one day it felt like the town shut down. It was, I don't know, it was a hurricane or something, a bunch of power outages. And Chad was, you know, with the town position, he was on the radio and he had to stay in his office. So I just came there and we like, you know, lit candles and hanging out and just like survival stuff and just yeah just the depth of experience um you know i got i got a lot of memories i mean just yeah all the little adventures which of course as you knew chad they you know oftentimes were way longer than he said they were going to be and you know uh i mean the first time i did the wapak trail which has become one of my favorite you know events in the springtime you know, it's a 21 mile trail. He's like, we're going to go down to Peterborough and go do, do a trail run. It's like 21 miles. It's not just like a run. You step out of the car and just, you know, so yeah, that was, that's about, that's, that's a good summary of, of Chad. It's a uh, big brother for sure. It's funny that you, <laughs> that you describe him that way, because that's, that's how, that's, that's very much how I knew him as well. Um, <laughs> that, uh, anytime Chad invited you on, uh, on, on an adventure, you had to, you had to try to get as, as much detail from him as you possibly could. Uh, because, because in a very short time, you're going to be, you were going to be way in over your head, <laughs> but, but, but that, but that, that, that was, that was Chad's spirit. Um, yes. yeah, one, 100%. I want to take you to, uh, um, to a moment that I, I mean, I find, I just find really, really fascinating as part of this story. And that's the Joe English challenge in May of 2014. Uh, so for the listener, uh, unfamiliar with the Joe English challenge, um, 
that is, it's a, that's a trail race in, um, it, it's a New Hampshire based trail race, the Joe Bedford? English, I think it's Bedford area. Yeah. Kind of mid central, central South New Hampshire. Um, and it's Joe English. What is that? 16, 18, 20 mile trail race. Is it, is it that, is it that long? It's a, it's a sub ultra. Yeah, I I think at the time it's it's evolved quite a bit over the years, but I think at the time it was like twenty five k, fifteen miles. Yeah, twenty five k. Okay, all right, fifteen miles. I, I I knew I knew it was I knew it was it was sub ultra, um, and you and Chad you and Chad uh, raced that race together, or you yes. ran you ran you were both running the race at the same time. You were both there to, together. You were racing together. Yes. At some point, um, well, it, it's fair to say that 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 Chad was, was an elite athlete. Fair. Absolutely. Yep. hundred, hundred percent. In fact, in fact, in, in his day, he was, he was probably w- one of the best endurance athletes in new England. I mean, period oh, across, absolutely. across all disciplines. I mean, he was, he, he, he was elite. Uh, did I read one time that, did he win the Vermont 100? He, uh, he did not have success at the 100, but he won the hundred K. I'm sorry. Yep. He won, he won the Vermont 100 K. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, but any, anyway, his, 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 his list of accolades is the length of your arm. Right. Um, yes. now, now to your credit, you, you were, you at that time, you were a very solid endurance athlete, but, but you, but you would admit you were, you were, you were not the elite athlete that Chad was. Is that fair to say? Oh, uh, I was still, uh, the student for sure. Okay. So 2014, uh, again, Chad is this, I mean, he's this, it's literally is a larger than life figure in the, in the endurance community here, uh, in New England. Not only is he, is he one of the best race directors, uh, in the area, but he's again, also one of the, I mean, he's just, he's an elite endurance athlete, period, yeah. uh, full stop. Um, <clears throat> you guys find yourself, uh, racing together at some point during that event. Can you yes. tell the don't, 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 don't tell the story about how the race finishes yet, but tell me, <laughs> cause I, I, cause I, I want to set that up, but, um, how did it come to be that, that the two of you were racing together? Did you start off racing together that, that day? Did, did he, did he, did he, was he holding back and eventually caught you? Do you remember that story, Brandon? Yeah. So, um, I would say that, you know, I don't remember all of it but um as i you know i was a a single guy working um in in new hampshire so you know it was really easy for me to to go do events with chad and as i continue to learn about sort of all the racing opportunities in new england and figured out like what i wanted to focus on you know trail running just seemed and ultra running seemed like sort of a natural fit i was i was not good at the shorter stuff per se and that's what you know chad did so it was a lot of fun to train together and um yeah uh this was an i think the first year of this race um so we were both kind of coming down to check it out and you know we were both able to go so it's always fun to, to carpool i mean gosh uh i i don't think i'll do any races anymore in the future by myself you know i try not to anyway i mean it's so much more fun with with friends and family and anyway so yeah we went down to that one together um he used to have a uh, honda odyssey <laughs> and he said you know 
people make fun of me, but he's like, this thing is great. You know, you can put all your gear in, you can put the bike in, you don't even need to put the seats down, you know? Um, so we went down, I'm pretty sure we took the Honda Odyssey and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a pretty solid course. Um, there was a, you know, the, I wouldn't say the competition was super strong. You know, it was a new event. Um, it, it was right around the time of the seven sisters. So it might've even been same weekend. So I, I felt like that was, you know, there could maybe could have been some more faster people there, whatever. So, you know, a uh, few people were running with us, um, actually really cool. Um, w- one of the guys who ended up finishing third is a guy named Chad McDonald, who, um, is another person that will say, you know, he'll remind me that Chad and I talked to him at that race after and encouraged him. And he just won the WAPAC 50 miler this year. So just incredible how, you know, the, the good stuff in life keeps, keeps rolling. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, um, Chad had, you know, we worked together, I don't know, 10, 12 miles in and, and I was hurting and, um, you know, we didn't know the course, so we knew we were getting close and I was, I was definitely fading, but I, I think I, I got on top of my nutrition and caught back up to him. And I was, I was feeling like, Oh, this is pretty cool. You know, like I, I can sometimes keep up with him but i've never certainly never beaten him you know and and so we were um on the course it gets to a place where there's there's like a double track that goes around the lake <clears throat> and so we uh we entered into that together and i knew we were getting close and you can s- sort of start to see the finish so um shall i continue or <laughs> yes you I, you have set that up you have set that up brilliantly you 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 know where I'm going with this story. So I think, yeah, you can, you can, you can take it from here. Cause I, it, 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 it's a remarkable, he is a remarkable story and it says so much about Chad. Yeah. No, so, no. all right. So you're, you guys are, you guys are shoulder to shoulder or you're, you're within arm's length. You know, you're getting close to the finish. Take, yep, us, to, take us to the finish. Sure. Yeah. So uh, like, it's like a lake and, and you're kind of on this double track. I think it's a lot of equestrian use there at this place. Um, And so we're going uh, counterclockwise around the lake. So you start to see, Oh, right over there, you know, there's the finish line, there's the the family, the food, whatever. And uh, we came around and I'm thinking, okay, you know, is this the day of the, you know, the student taking on the master and, you know, we kind of start to wind up our sprint and we're getting close to the finish and he sort of stops and he basically turns around and he like starts clapping. And so he sort of lets me cross the finish line first, which was was really special for me, obviously, to to win win an event and uh, for him to to just say, hey, you know, good job today. You you you've uh, you've you know, made it to the next level or whatever. Um, we still have the picture on the team amp active, uh, page. It's one of the, you know, the race pictures, um, team Um, I think it's like under summer events or something. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool scene and, and definitely, um, a really special forever memory for sure. Uh, Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking at it now. Um, and we'll we'll talk about team team amp uh, active uh, in just a moment, but yeah, teamampactive.org. Uh, actually, uh, it's the it's the cover photo for the CDC or the Chad Denning there Challenge, you go. right? Yep, um, I believe there there you guys are uh, at the finish line. Um, well, a, yeah. as 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 I 
understand the story or as the story has been told to me. Uh, Chad was asked about that moment um, later on, and he 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 went on to he, he said something to the effect that um, that he felt like it was your turn. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of, it occurs to me, um, that it's, it's just really interesting foreshadowing because, I mean, this was, um, this was May of 2014. You know, again, Chad, basically Chad was saying it's, it's Brandon's turn. He, he needed a win, you know, and, you know, in, 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 in Chad's sort of infinite wisdom, right. He, he knew that's, that's what you needed. Chad, Chad didn't need to win another event, <laughs> but he, and, and he knew that it was going to mean far more to you to win an event that it would mean to him to win that's an event. It. And I, and again, I, I, I do remember, I do remember that he was credited with saying that it, it was your turn. Hmm. This was May of 2014. Fast forward just a couple of months later, September 7th of 2014. And uh, Chad passes away tragically on a, on a, on a trail run slash fast pack trek um, with a, with, with a, with a couple of buddies um, yeah. on Mount, Mount Musalak. Um, do you remember much? You weren't there on that, on that day, September, the, the day that, the day that Chad passed, you were, you, you were not on that run, correct? No. Um, did you, did you know about that? Was it, was that a run that you were, had been invited to go on and, and couldn't make it or what, what was that story? Um, well, <laughs> that was, uh, day one of my honeymoon. So, um, uh, we were in, um, somewhere around Stowe and, uh, I ended up, I think talking to Megan Smith, who is now Megan Underhill. Um, and obviously, uh, and actually, um, probably the first person I talked to was, uh, Paul Coates. I don't know if you know Paul Coates, but, um, think of, uh, think of, uh, Chad in the, in the, all of all things, um, sort of community and recreation. Um, Paul's not as crazy as an athlete. Um, he's actually a, a Thai American too. So he actually looks quite a bit different than your, you know, six, one Texan. Um, but, uh, Paul, Paul is one of our, uh, my wife and I's best, best friends. One of the salt of the earth people on um, Paul was the one who called us. So, um, that was, uh, talk about a yin and a yang, right? Um, so yeah, to answer the question, I probably would have been there, but, uh, I think Chad thought it wise not to invite me on a trail run the day after my wedding. So yeah, <laughs> probably because he, 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 he didn't want to put you in a, he didn't want to put you in a spot. He didn't want to, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to put you yeah. in, a, in a bad spot. There will be time to choose, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 and again, just sort of circle back to that, that moment at the Joe English challenge and, and, uh, you know, Chad, Chad commenting or paraphrasing something to the effect that it, you know, that it, it was your turn. Mm. 
Um, I mean, obviously he, 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 he couldn't have known how things were going to transpire a couple, a couple of, of months later. Um, uh, but in a sense, in a real sense, it did become your turn um, because, you know, almost, well, it, in a moment, in an instant, uh, a tragic instant, um, you, you, your, your, your level of responsibility increased dramatically. And, 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 and when, when I say that, I mean, um, you must've felt the responsibility to carry on Chad's legacy. Yeah. I mean, um, I feel like, I feel like we could, we could talk for hours about all, all the topics we're covering tonight. Um, you know, yeah, race directing. I mean, literally, um, that fall, you know, there was, there were a number of people who were, were talking, you know, winter wild, this and that, what do we do? Do we do one big event? Do we do this, that, and the other thing? And I said, well, yeah, I maybe know the most about this. So I'm going to give it a go. And, um, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes, but, but in terms of like template or, um, you know, bullet point summary, uh, I literally just went to the memory bank. Every single thing we did probably for the first three years was just something he showed me, you know, point blank, just something we had done. Um, and you know, everything from, from the timer to the, um, to the, you know, how to contact sponsors to the damn paint on the snow. You know, I did it exactly how he did it. And it was a good, a good formula. <laughs> well, and uh, again, I, I sort of, I get goosebumps just thinking about this, that, um, hmm. I mean, if, if not for you, who else would it have been? Because I mean, there wasn't any, and again, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't anybody else that was that closely connected to what was happening in terms of Chad's race directing orbit. I mean, you were, you were the guy you, and, and again, I just, I don't know. I just, I just find it really interesting how, how these things kind of work out that, that truthfully, had he not, I mean, had he not pulled you in, mm. It would have been very, very difficult for any of those events to have continued. Not, yeah. not, not, not Absolutely. because of lack of will or lack of interest. Just like, how, how do you start? How do you, how do you build something from zero? But you, you really weren't building things from zero because, because Chad was, Chad was, was so gracious in sharing these things with you, right? Absolutely. Um, and he obviously knew you well enough that it, it wasn't as though you were going to run away with his ideas and do your own thing and, you know, and compete against him. That right. Chad knew that wasn't the case. Chad, Chad knew, Chad knew the kind of character person that you were and that, you know, that you, that you honestly and legitimately wanted to help. You wanted to help elevate, oh, sure. yeah. help elevate what he was doing. And so he was, he was, he was just very open to share as much of it about it as he possibly could. And, and in fact, I think because of that, that's a big reason why these, why these events have continued. Uh, I mean, do you, do you see it that way? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's the uh, my my buddy Danny, who has been sort of the latest uh, to to help um, with with a lot of the race directing. Um, you know, he he just to quote him, I mean, he just said, you know, he's been a bike racer basically since I had diabetes. You know, so same amount of time frame. He's a couple months older than me. Um, you know, he's, I just did not know how much goes into these things until I started working with you, you know? And I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, winter wild, you have all the variables of all the other events and then, then you add in the, the snow, right. And you, you know, the, the pre, uh, pre dawn sort of, uh, course marking and, you know, going up the mountain competing with the, the groomers and, yeah it's just it's it's a wild event it was aptly named um <laughs> there's a there's cert, there certainly is a there's a lot to it um i mean i <laughs> interestingly enough um at some point probably 2011 2012 i don't exactly remember when but um chad had uh chad invited myself and my buddy rich labors Yes. Uh, to lunch. I don't, were you there? I don't think I was there. I, okay. I, I remember rich for sure. Okay. So anyway, Chad, Chad had, uh, rich and I, uh, we went out to lunch to talk about, uh, acidotic racing, hosting a winter wild event. Chad wanted to, he wanted to start expanding, but he, he wasn't sure that he, he was the one that he wanted to actually put on any more events. Um, but he wanted to see the, the series expand. And uh, we, at that time, we were interested, possibly, in hosting a winter wild race. It ended up not happening. Um, we, we ended up not, uh, not, uh, not getting involved. But, um, but I, I, I'll, 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 never, I'll, I'll never forget that, uh, that experience of spending some time with him and talking about uh, sort of the ins and outs uh, of, of winter wild. Um, so, so now... Um, you, you are the race director for the winter wild series. Um, and, um, you're also, uh, you're also the race director for, um, the, Esca the Escutney mountain run, uh, the Chad Denning challenge to trail run, uh, and the pleasant Ridge run. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, I'm definitely on an impasse when it comes to all things race directing. I have at this time, uh, we do not have a series for this winter. Um, so this would be year 12. Um, unfortunately I, I did some, some throwing my hands up in the air last, last fall, um, uh, last spring in, in March, our, our last two events got canceled last year. We only had four. So half of them, um, yeah, so there, there's no series on the on the docket for the this winter. Um, I have a friend who I will not name at this time who is very interested in continuing it. Um, it's by no means done. Um, I would say at the bare minimum, there's going to be some type of fun reunion event this year, probably at Pat's Peak or Whaleback. Um, but right now, uh, I'm on the docket for a scutney in june and that's that got it at this time got it got it got it um well i can 
as someone who has directed races for for more than a decade i can i can completely empathize with you first uh we got out of the snowshoe racing game because the unpredictable and unreliable winters snowshoe racing you know was i mean it was a blast when it was great yeah um when the snow was not great it it, it just became it became very challenging to have to postpone or or yes. cancel events or try to reroute events or try to reroute courses to try to find snow. And, yeah. and the races that I, the snowshoe races that I was, I was putting on were not being held at five in the morning. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it just, the, the amount of effort and planning that it takes to put on a winter wild. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not sure most people can fully appreciate how much of an incredible commitment that is. Um, and I, I mean, I've always been in awe. Uh, I was in awe of Chad. I have been in awe of you um, to be able to put these winter wild events on. I just, I just don't, I don't know how you did it. I mean, I do know how you did it, but I'm, I'm, I, I just, I'm was in, always been incredibly impressed by that because I know how, how incredibly hard that is. So Thank you. that, that, yeah. that, I can completely understand that as someone, as someone, again, myself personally, um, I'm looking to slowly work myself out of the event management space as well. Uh, I, it's been a good run for us, but it's, 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 it's exhausting. It's, and, and increasingly it's becoming more and more difficult to find volunteers uh, sure. just because people, people are busy. People have got other things to do and it's completely understandable. And yep. but as you yep. know, without, without volunteers, there are no events. Yes. Um, right. And so, I mean, as much as, as, as much as, as much as, you know, you know, what needs to be done, you can't possibly do it all, uh, do it all yourself. Right. So I, um, as, as a fellow race director, I, uh, I, compl I completely understand that. Um, what, so what, what does that mean then for, um, for team amp? So team amp, well, first of all, Explain to the listener what what and who Team Amp is, um, and then and then help me and the listener understand uh, what does this potential scaling back for you uh, as a race director? What does that mean for for Team Amp? Yeah, so um, I would say, like generally speaking, I followed a similar. Uh, uh graph i guess you'd say like a uh like a sort of like very similar to acidotic and 603 you know when i took over and in um 2015 i left my job as a supervisor at eastern mountain sports to try to do these things full time or at least uh as my main thing you know i i basically i i tell people i've been a utility player since i graduated college you know i'm just kind of going where i'm needed and um, which, you know, also that's getting tiring, right? I like just ready to do a few different things. Um, but that uh, that's an aside. Um, so yeah, team amp, uh, it's basically this, this sort of triangle of like events, which support sort of a community, which is a team mostly manifests itself as, as events, as racing, as promotion. And that also, I was thinking maybe would go into some sort of coaching thing, which ultimately I did not wasn't for me. You know, I, I did a few certifications, did this, that, and the other thing, did some sort of trial runs with friends. That wasn't 
that wasn't with, for me. So that sort of third piece of the triangle was more in outdoor retail and pub runs and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it was all kind of loosely tied together, but not really tied together. Um, team amp was really, I, I chose a different model. I don't, I think when it comes to teams and racing, what I learned is people want a little more structure than I was willing to do. And so, you know, a lot of people would wear the singlet. They liked the Jersey. They thought it was cool. They, you know, would go to the events, but they're like, well, there's not a lot of team dynamics. There's like, when are we doing this thing? And I tried to do some like retreats and this and that. And, but I don't know, I, my creativity and my, my sort of, um, volunteerism, uh, you know, it was, it was being exhausted through the events. Uh, I think at one point I directed, it was either 14 or 17 events in one calendar year. And that was like, okay, that's too much. And then, so you're, you're trying to do these side hustles to make a, a few extra dollars and, and basically customer service. So I'm, I'm always entertaining. I'm always, you know, encouraging. I'm always, and at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't have any more to make more things, right. I need to go, you know, uh, cut firewood or do something, you know, do puzzles, something totally different. That's going to relax and whatever. And so, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, just a lot of stupid stuff the last few years. I mean, ultimately, um, shifting gears, not a big deal. I feel like it's time. Um, but team amp, uh, athletes and multi-sport partnerships was a creation of chats. I still have his business plan from 2012. I think. And so he was actually hoping team amp would be his full-time job as well. Um, he had a bunch of events. He had a lot of grant funding lined up and he ended up uh, going from the rec department to um, student conservation association, which was just a godsend of a job for him. I mean, he just adored that job in his last two years with us. And um, so, you know, ultimately he, he was drawn in a different direction too, I guess. Um, and so <clears throat> more recently um well and it was always kind of funny too because i should have started the business as team amp instead we did it winter wild llc so we were doing all these summer events and they uh, write the check to winter wild you know it, was, it kind of didn't make a lot of sense but you know people people got the idea and so um like even even with the team amp jerseys i i really like the the color scheme and it was actually a silhouette of mount washington another chad creation um we had a team store and I, I won't use names cause I don't, I don't like to, you know, air my grievances, you know, in public, but um, you know, the people that made our jerseys um, had a hard time during COVID and they sold their business and the other business didn't honor our agreement. So I decided to do things a little different. I, you know, we, we made a couple jerseys and, and these hats and beanies, whatever. And I said, instead of like upcharging or using like a membership fee, I said, your membership is the Jersey. You buy the Jersey, you're a member. And all of the products on their website, $5 went back to the team, which basically if it's 45 bucks, you know, we got five bucks to put towards events or whatever, a team retreat, that sort of thing. I thought that was a good idea. I probably didn't, um, uh, make it public enough for, you know, share, you know, my idea, Long story short, um, the, the the new company didn't honor the agreements, so we we don't have jerseys anymore. I guess they're sort of like, uh, you know, uh, collector's items now. Um, so that's a bit of a bummer. Um, and then, of course, uh, just 
just the challenges added up last year that were were too much. Um, uh, a few of the mountains um, just, you know, kind of decided they didn't like uphilling halfway through the year. Um, uh, as he, people may know, like with them, similar similar to what uh, Andrew Drummond has experienced uh, with some of his mountains. And, you know, it's tough stuff, but it's business. I don't think it's personal. Um, but yeah, when you when you when you sink your heart and soul into something and then you're told at the 11th hour that you can't do it, you're kind of like, OK. And then, of course, you need money to keep the lights on, too. So, yeah, well, and, you know, and and for you, too, I, I mean, I think there's there's an extra layer to it. You know, you're not you're not just a race director. You're not you're not just uh, a, a leader of a team. Um but you're, you know, you're, you're attempting to carry on a legacy. And so, and there's, you know, that's a heavy, not, not that, not that you have to, and not that anybody asks you to do that. I mean, you, right. But, right. But, but you have to feel somewhere you have to, you kind of have to feel the responsibility, you know, and that, and that's a heavy weight too. And nobody, nobody should have to carry that, carry that, that, um, you know, that, that it's not a burden, but nobody should have to carry that that either um i when, when i sort of put it out there that i was i was having it was going to have this chat with you and i was you know I, I asked the listeners uh for for questions for you you know like what oh wow what should i ask what should cool. i ask brandon so yeah um what but and this sort of the is my last point about the the, the team leadership part. But uh, someone someone said, "Well, ask him about ask him about owl endurance or OWL endurance." Yeah. Uh, so what what is OWL? I I'm, I'm guessing it's not literally owl, but it, that's the acronym OWL. What is what is OWL endurance? What is that? What does that mean? What what what's going on with that? So um, it's uh uh what's the is it is a semicolon? Is it the the one that like is a is a pause, but there's a continuation after? <laughs> right now, it's it's a total um, it's a it's a it's a baby step and see what happens at every corner. Um, so the idea, you know, damn three letter acronyms, right? Like <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, so as as you know, you know, we're always looking for prizes right for our events we want something unique something that people will use now we start to think about the environment are they just going to huck it in a landfill in a year so um two years ago winter wild um i got found these nice beanies and they um they had like these white stitching to them so they looked like snowflakes really cool so i said oh i like that and they said okay we'll send you a sample and when they send samples a lot of times they're mess ups right so this sample is a green beanie with all these like white snowflakes and it said owl on it. And I was like, what the heck is this? But then when I ordered the hats, um, I didn't order enough. My athletes obviously get the first choice. And so I still wanted one of these hats. So I'm wearing my owl hat around. It's the same hat, except it doesn't have the Winter Wild logo, right? So I'm wearing the owl backwards because I'm like, this is weird. Like, what does this even mean? And then I just kind of like had this little idea in the back of my head and I'm like, and so <clears throat> it's funny that you mentioned legacy, right? And um, we don't do this for the money, obviously. Um, but there's an element of anything you do in life you want. You want to have 
you want to own part of it. You want some of your stamp of approval, your creativity, whatever. And as I was thinking of sort of at least pausing uh, events and, and sort of waiting for my creativity to return after a sense of burnout, um, I was thinking about this, this stupid hat. I just kept thinking about it. And this acronym came into my mind and it has sort of a dual meaning, maybe more than two meanings. And, and so I said, owl outsiders without limitations. And so this could mean uh, many things could mean whatever you want it to mean, but uh, similar to REI with their be an outsider, you know, they're trying to get more people in the outdoors in general. Uh, we are all outsiders. We go outside. That's a good thing, right? Um, universally, like, great. Go in nature, exercise, all that fun stuff. Another way of looking at it is um, having been in cross country, having been in a very small subgroup of people with diabetes, you know, now being someone with a head injury, blah, blah, blah. You know, endurance sports, you know, you, you name the top five trail runners in the world. Most people couldn't do it, you know name the top basketball player or football player. Okay. We, we know that, um, we, we are outsiders in a sense. We go play and get lost in the woods and get muddy and run farther than we should. <laughs> and so also it has this other meaning of like people that are sort of looking for a tribe in a sense. And, um, people that maybe are not connected in the community as as much as they could be. They're always sort of looking for a group to hang with, um, somebody to accept them, something like that. So so those are the two sort of general ideas behind it. And, you know, it's, I added the word endurance because it encompasses almost all things, you know, outdoors, outdoorsy. Um, and then the cool thing, um, so, so my buddy Danny, who I grew up with, who's helped me with a ton of races in the last three, maybe four, four years, maybe five years. Um, he and I have started to do a bunch of races. We did metal act. Um, we've done a few, uh, mountain bike races, team races, 12 hour, six hour. Um, we wanted a Jersey, right? So selfishly we wanted to make our little team. So that was the original, the, you know, all these ideas kind of came together with a pilot run of 10 running shirts and 10, um, biking shirts and just came up with a cool design owl an owl is pretty straightforward so i i just found an owl photo and paid a guy to you know for rights to it which i don't really know why i did that i mean there's a lot of photographers out there i mean you know don't tell joe right um but, uh so and then i said well this could go somewhere this could not so i work with voler and maybe um if it goes somewhere we make a little store maybe it doesn't but the way I chose the bike and run people to give these shirts to, um, this is kind of like my thing, right? I'm just kind of taking this and spinning it off all this other stuff. I, I wanted to choose people going back to what my friend Danny said. I wanted to choose some friends and people I look up to that do cool stuff and really are essential to, to doing this stuff because without people sacrificing, volunteering, etc. This stuff doesn't happen and it it needs to happen. It needs encouragement to to keep happening. So like 
uh, one of the first guys I gave the bike shirt to, um, is a, a buddy named Mike Corin. Um, he does a bunch of, um, uphilling at Sunapee. Um, he would probably tell you he's a, you know, nine to five athlete, you know, he's kind of a, you know, he's not fast. Um, but he just took over, uh, day of operations for the Chad hero half marathon, big fundraiser for the, the kids at Dartmouth hospital. Um, you know, and just, just highlighting what he does and how important it is and saying thank you. Um, and then, so I've got a few friends that I'm going to give some running shirts to just really cool stories. Um, one of them is our, our, our good old friend, Ellie Ferguson, you know, and just, just these cool people that just do really fun stuff and maybe they're stoked. Maybe they wear it in races. Maybe they don't at all, but it's kind of my spin and sort of closing slash opening a new chapter um and and what's cool i i when you said that earlier i grabbed the shirt um sort of the the full circle element of this whether it goes somewhere or not um it's my current race shirt and my buddy danny um shout out to danny he broke his collarbone recently in a cross crash Bummer. Bummer. So, uh even if we were doing winter wilds i would be scrambling having to find my fellow marking guy so it's kind of a sign let's take it easy this winter but to come full circle with chad i don't know if you could see this i gotta get the camera right um it's it's the the saying on the back of the shirt we we did explore for chad when he passed on t-shirts and and on our jerseys uh the the tagline on the bottom of the bike and run shirt is inconvenience yourself and that was another chadism um you know sort of the oh it's dark and cold i'm gonna hit the alarm no you're not you know and just it's sort of a, a life lesson for for all things right good things come to those who work hard good things are worth the fight and you know whether it's exercise or you know sticking up for a coworker or whatever like most of the good choices in life are inconvenient right so that's that's sort of the little full circle with the owl and uh and chad um segue and it's totally an open book i've literally told you everything that i've thought about the last six months and we'll see where it goes from here i i i really appreciate you um uh mentioning the you know the 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 connection with this with this with this new possibility owl endurance and 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 uh, but but keeping the connection to chad because that as you were as you were talking about it i was thinking um again nobody expected you to 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 continue with the winter wild and and nobody expected you to continue with you know continue chad's events and and team amp i mean nobody expected that in fact Chad probably didn't even ex expect that, <laughs> but, but you did it nevertheless. Um, and, I mean, you, 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 I mean, talk about inconvenience yourself. I mean, that, that, right. That, that, that's the, that's the ultimate manifestation of it. Uh, hmm. I mean, you, again, it, you know, overnight, you know, you, you took on all of these responsibilities, tremendous responsibilities, um, you know, for, probably many reasons, but, 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 it, you know, at least somewhere in there, there had to have been a, a, a feeling or sense of obligation to Chad's legacy. What I really appreciate though, is that, you know, as you, as you, as you begin to sort of pen the, you know, the, the last paragraph 
of the chapter of Team AMP, at least your involvement in Team AMP and Winter Wild, um, you know, and, and, and you look to sort of to create something yourself that you that you've continued, you, you continue with Chad's spirit, Chad's mm-hmm. legacy, in other words, sort of kind of comes along. I mean, yeah. I, I, I yeah. suspect at this point, Brandon, you, you you can't separate Chad's legacy from your own at this point. Is that fair to say? I would say so. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, I mean, you're obviously your own man for sure, but, mm-hmm. but, but everything that you've, that you've said and, and described, um, you know, is, is, is so heavily influenced by Chad and, 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 and who he was. Um, I, I, I so appreciate that, that conversation. I want to, I want to wrap up uh, the show with, with this. And it's a segment uh, of the show that I like to call three random questions. Uh Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a fun it's a fun little, it's a fun little segment of the show in which I, uh, I kind of put you on the spot and I ask you, I ask you three random questions. But if you'll do this for me, uh, will you verify for the listener that you have not received these questions in advance? All right. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. So these, these are truly three random questions you've never heard before from me. Okay. All right. Um, so um, I mentioned earlier that I had, uh, that I had put it out there to the listeners. Um, uh, if, if they had any questions for you. And so my first two random questions are actually two questions from two different listeners. So we'll, we'll start with, we'll start with the first random question. So here's the first random question for Brandon Baker. And this, this question actually comes from Joe V uh, uh, from, from New Hampshire. And Joe, uh, Joe wanted to know uh, what is your current favorite gravel tire? Wow. Jeez, I wonder, I wonder if I could find this guy on the internet. Um, that, wow. So that is, you know, we all have these little quirky things we love, right? And how did Joe know? But I just love tires. It's really weird. Um, maybe it's because of the running shoe background and how the shoe interacts with the ground. I mean, that is a tire, right? And um, so I have really been enjoying the, um, it's uh, Dinelli is the brand. Do you know, do you know Danelli, Chris? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as much of a tire nerd as you. So I, All right. I know yeah. a handful so, of, of manufacturers, but I have not heard of Danelli. No. Yeah. So Danelli, uh, I believe the, it was Clement and it became Danelli more recently. Clement is popular on the cyclocross, I think. Anyway, um, they yes. name their tires after um, races, events. So it's a Danelli EMP, EMP. And it is a tire formed after the uh, Kanza or otherwise known as the, um, I think it's called the Unbound now. Um, so that's, you know, the, the Kansas, the big gravel, you know, Super Bowl now. Um, and it's an awesome tire. It's got a, it's got a pretty decent tread. Um, I've not found anything it can't handle in New Hampshire, um, but it still rolls really well. So we'll, we'll plug for the Dinelli Emp. Great question. <laughs> no, I, I I will say that uh, that that Joe V, uh, you know Joe V, uh, yes, <laughs> uh, as in VJ, you know Joe VJ, and so Joe Joe yeah. Joe obviously Joe knows you, and he knows that you uh, that you work uh, for an outdoor uh, retailer, and uh, yes. that you're super into cycling. So uh, when 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 Joe when Joe said that that was a question, I said, well, that's pretty specific. He goes. Just ask him. He will have, he will have an answer to that. <laughs> so Joe, yep, yep. Joe, 
Joe knew Joe knew very, very well. Uh, quick follow-up question to that. Um, uh, in terms of tread pattern, yeah. Do you on your gravel bike, do you run yeah. a different tread pattern in the back that you that you do in the front? I do. Yep. And that comes from the mountain bike side. Um, as you know, um, you know, my number one goal, I, I decided this year that I wasn't going to compete in gravel. I, I don't enjoy the large packs dating back to road racing, but I, I like to ride and, you know, I got that blinky light. I'm trying to be as safe as possible in new London. You gotta, you gotta go pavement to get to the dirt. Um, but yeah, so my number one goal is to, is to not, end up on the ground right and so um and i do like class six um so if i'm going to get on something that's a little more technical maybe push the boundary of that bicycle where i should be riding my mountain bike i'm going to have that the more treaded tire in the front and i found except for super steep super loose climbs the rear tire not that important because your weight's centered over it so i actually have another Denelli in the back and it's called the oh shoot joe uh <laughs> It's named for a, it's actually a world tour race in Italy, but this one's like, this one's pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and that, uh, I mean, is when I, when I was riding gravel, uh, that was my setup as well. An aggressive right. tire uh, yeah. in the front and a, and a, I'll use the word slick, but it wasn't actually a slick, but it was a, it was a very low tread tire in the back just to re sure. reduce rolling, rolling resistance in the back. Um, but, uh, but, but create a lot of friction and grab in the front where uh, yes. if you're going to lose the bike, you're going to lose the front wheel. And that's what's going to cause yep. you to go over. All right. Uh, random question. Number two, uh, is from Emily F, uh, from New York. Uh, oh. Emily, Emily wanted to know, uh, what's your favorite place to adventure? What's your go-to favorite place to adventure? Wow. Ooh, yeah. It, it's, uh, is there other parameters like is it like that you've been to or like could it be you you this is this is completely your discretion in terms wow. of how you answer this whether whether this is a place you've never been or a places that you go all the time yeah favorite yeah, yeah. Favorite, favorite place to adventure all right then well um so 2019 june um my wife and i got a chance to go up to uh quebec for a race um, called the Quebec Mega Trail. Um, terrain is very similar to New Hampshire, but you get this added element of folks that, you know, speak primarily French. So it's like going to Europe, but driving five hours. Um, that was that was a really special experience. Um, it's totally unique for so many reasons. Um, the the talent of the athletes. Um, the terrain, the culture, the, the language. Um, but, uh, you know, right. I've been in new London now a long time. Colby Sawyer, obviously all the adventures with Chad and, and now having a, moved away for a couple of years and then buying a house, you know, last few years. So, I mean, I have always been the type of person who, um, especially now with environment, uh, just values the putting on the shoes and going out the back door. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, if you're, look, if you're, if you're doing it right and you are creative enough, uh, you, you can, you can adventure right out your front door, really. 
right? Huge lesson from the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're yep. if you if you're doing it right. Uh, so, quick follow up to to Quebec. Uh, I I find it curious. Um, uh, from what I'm hearing, Quebec is emerging as a mountain bike destination. Hmm. Right. It's a lot of really good mountain biking in Quebec. Have you heard this? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Here's what I find. Here's what I find curious. Uh, that Quebecers uh, will will come from Canada to uh, to the Northeast Kingdom and ride uh, Kingdom sure. Trails, uh, where, from what I understand, some of the best mountain biking in you know in the in the eastern half of North America uh, is in is in the Quebec area. Why 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 do you think it is that uh, the grass is always greener on the other side? Why is it that Canadians are coming to uh, to Kingdom Trails to ride to ride mountain bikes in Vermont where they have they have some great mountain biking up there? I wonder if it's just it's just the same reason I I said and I was running at Mount St. Anne. The race finished at the at the you know where the World Cup is for mountain bikes. So uh it's probably just that slightly different culture they want to hang out with the brash americans and their ipas um yeah i mean our kingdom kingdom is world renowned right and so we we have you know just when we get bored with our playground we have to go five hours away to you know something that's equally awesome i mean yeah that's probably true. Um, all right, last la last question. Here's the, here's the last ra random question for for you, Brandon. Um, so, little little known fact, uh, I I have built a time machine in my garage. Okay, excellent. Um, and I'm, I'm and I'm willing I'm willing to give you a ride. First one is first right. one is free. Okay, then then right. you, then you then you pay for it after that. Um, so I'm going to give you a ride in in the time machine. Now you can. You can spend three seconds in the future Oof. at any point in the future. Okay. Or you can spend three hours in the past. And this can be three hours in your lifetime. This can be three hours, you know, uh, uh, centuries before you were, you were born at any point in the past. Oh, wow. three, three seconds in the future, or you can spend three hours in the past. When, where and why where when are you when, yeah yeah when are you go, when are you traveling where are you traveling to and why are you going there wow oh man this and this is the whole point is to answer quickly right to, to no try. well yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i mean as long as we keep uh, the show under three hours i think i think that's okay. right yeah <laughs> holy cow oh man there's poof. That is like, that is like an all night question. That's fantastic. And, and I, I should say, as you're, as you're, as you're pulling your thoughts together, um, <laughs> no one is going to be offended <laughs> if you, if you, if you answer in such a way that they're like, well, why, why wouldn't he have gone back and spent time with me? Um, <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I, 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 I am positive. There is no way that you could possibly offend anyone with your answer. Oof. Well, let's narrow it down. Are you going in the future or are you going, are you going back in the past? I mean, it's got to be in the past, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's good. I, and that's, that's a, that's a, that's a really, that's a really common, that's a, that's a common answer. I think most people feel the same way. 
Um, so if it is in the past, you think it's in your lifetime? No. Or, oh, okay. So, all right. So it's some historic event in the past that you would like to bear witness to, that you would like to, you would like to live those three hours. That's what you're saying? All right. I, I, I wish I could be so, um, so, so self, uh, so righteous. Um, but it, it, it does sort of come back. So, uh, what comes to mind right off and I think is, I think is an answer I would probably have many, many times over. Um, I'm 35 years old. I never met either of my biological grandfathers. Um, and one of them uh, both died way too young. Um, and so I know that there's a certain time period that I would have been able to spend when both of them were alive. And that would have been pretty neat. Maybe I just split it hour and a half with each, um, and to come, you know, full circle on the other thing we talked about the old diabetes, my, uh, mom's dad, uh, passed away at 32. So she never knew him either. So, um, you know, my cousin and I, I think that is definitely something we're very thankful for because we've already outlived him and that's, that's super special. And, and it would have been cool to meet, meet both of them for sure. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really, it's a really cool answer. And, uh, you know, again, I, 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 to me, I think that that speaks to your selflessness because you could have easily gone back and, and relived, you know, three hours of, the greatest three hours of your life, but that's not what your answer was. I, I really think that's a, that's a credit to, to who you are. Um, Brandon, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so appreciative that you, uh, that you agreed to, uh, to sit down and chat. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been, a, it's been awesome. Super fun. And, and thanks for the insight and, and, uh, stoking those memories. Thank you. Really cool. Thank you. Was the OWL hat sent to him randomly or was the universe sending him a message that it was time for him to travel on his own path forward? Brandon is a hardworking, high character individual, and there's no doubt that Chad is incredibly proud of the work he's done. Brandon is a leader and has a knack for inspiring greatness in others. I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you're listening on Spotify and enjoyed what you heard, Please circle back to the homepage and click the follow button in the upper left-hand corner. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So check it out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.